Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Today on Conflict Managed, we are joined by Lisa Tilly. She's a coach and leadership trainer, founder and owner of LT Leadership LLC. She earned her Bachelor of Science degree in education from the University of Tennessee at Martin. Lisa started her career in public health space, conducting community outreach programs to promote health education in communities and school systems throughout West Tennessee. For the past 15 years, Lisa has worked as a business development, sales, and marketing professional in the senior industry, which includes hospice, senior living, and in-home senior care services. Her most recent position was area manager of hospice outreach. Lisa is certified with New Life Leadership and the Maxwell Leadership Certified Team as a speaker, leadership trainer, coach, and disc behavioral analysis trainer. She is licensed to present John Maxwell curriculum and offers workshops, training, mastermind groups, and coaching to aid in personal growth and professional development to individuals, companies, schools, and organizations. She is passionate about influencing and adding value to others to help reach their goals. Good morning, Lisa, and welcome to Conflict Managed. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. How are you this morning? Doing okay. Doing okay. We record this podcast at all different times, but it actually happens to be fairly early in the morning. I'm a morning person, so that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Will you begin us on this podcast by telling us about your work history? Sure. Um, so how about the past 13 years or so, um, I did... Um, sales and marketing in the senior industry. And um, that would be assisted living. Hospice was the the largest part of that um, and was my favorite, um, which sounds weird, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, And then, uh, unfortunately, in 2021, uh, or 2022, rather, I lost my job um, with the reduction in workforce. And so in 2020, I had gotten a certification through the John Maxwell team to be a certified speaker trainer, coach, behavioral trainer, which I love. Um, And and actually, the reason why I did that is because of some of the issues and things that you talk about. I wanted to be able to help others learn how to lead um, and help with that conflict management and things through the behavioral. Um, So that's what I'm doing now. I started my own business. It's called LT Leadership, and I do training and coaching. That is wonderful. How did you find John Maxwell of uh, that program? And will you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Um, I, you know, the old Google search engine started looking up just different training certifications, things like that, and came across that. And because his, um, the culture and things matched mine of, of my goals and things like that. Um, it matched what i liked and so um that's how I got into it and it's actually a um a platform that you have access to forever which is awesome and you can use it for either personal professional development or to do a business um you know I did it and I became certified in 2020 and just used it as personal professional development and then when I lost my job I thought well I'm going to go ahead and just try this and see see how it works I had lots of support from family and then you have all the support on that platform that you would ever need for a lifetime which is awesome that is wonderful. I like that you mentioned the support from your family, because as you know, I too have uh, changed professions and I was reflecting this morning about 
the reason I've been able to accomplish what I've accomplished is simply because of my support system. I mean, without that, without the support of my husband and my family, um, I don't believe I would have felt so free to embark on this new part of my life. Absolutely. 100%. I'm so, so very thankful. So very thankful. So Lisa, I'm always interested in people's first jobs. So when you were young, a teenager, what was your first job? McDonald's. McDonald's. Yes. (laughs) Who didn't say, would you like fries with that? That's where my, uh, I have a son, uh, I have three sons, but my middle son, Leopold, uh, that's where he works right now. That is his first job. And he worked at all as a senior in high school. And now he's a freshman at college and home from a break. And this morning, yes, he went in at 4 a.m. Yesterday, he went in at 4 a.m. And I love those first jobs. I think they, you learn yeah. so much. What What did you learn from working at McDonald's? Oh my goodness. Going back there, um, I actually, I mean, I was only, what, 16 years old, you know, so I got a promotion to be a swing shift manager. I mean, really, at 16 years old. So, man, I remember, and I had, so I have um, a background with my family is German, so we have quite a temper, you know, all that good stuff, so I remember sending this young kid home. <laughs> You're gone. You're out of here. I'm like, oh my goodness, if I could go back, you know, to those days and go, oh, that was so wrong. But you know, you didn't have a whole lot of leadership training at 16 years old there. But if I could go back, I would say, oh, Lisa, you just need to calm down a little bit, you know. But I mean, I didn't have any experience or any training and but, you know, just like with my daughter, you were talking about having kids. My daughter, I have an only child, but I do have a blended family. But um, I didn't get remarried until after she was in college. So she has such a strong will, you know. And my dad would say, you've got to you've got to train and focus that. I'm like, oh, my goodness. But, so you know, you've seen that little saying that says, I'm not bossy. I am just have leadership ability. So through my experiences, I was able to to help her kind of tone that down a little bit and help. Now she's a nurse and doing really well. She's 25. I mean, just far exceeds really people at her own age, you know, but anyway. Yeah. I really love that idea of helping to guide um, the younger generation because there's something so wonderful and refreshing about youth. You know, when you're in your twenties, you see the world in a certain kind of way that is that is real and right, but um, sometimes there's a lack of empathy, a lack of understanding because you lack experience yourself, and you think, "Why isn't this person here? Why is this person showing up this way? Why can't they get themselves together?" I mean, they, you're supposed to be at work, and they've got a childcare issue, and then you have children, or you go through some experience, and um, and so we can learn so much from people who are starting off in their career, what they see that we don't see. And of course, we have something to offer them that, as you said, that tempering so that we can really enhance uh, what the younger generation has to bring to the workforce um, without, you know, uh, without the sort of the zealousness that can alienate. So tell us about, you said um, uh, in the, in sales with sales, right? With um, hospice care. And that, that was what you really enjoyed. What did you enjoy about that? 
Well, you know, I never saw myself as a salesperson then. Um, hospice was a passion, a, a mission. It was a ministry for me. I'm a person of faith. That's the reason why I like the John Maxwell team too. You know, his he builds his um, foundation on that. And um, so that's what I really liked about it. And um, the passion that I could go into my referral sources and talk to them about what hospice provides, not only for the patient, but for the families and the peace of mind for the referral sources as well, knowing, okay, this is, we have come to the point where this is all we can do. What is our next steps? You know, so that's, that's what it was for me. It's just um, that continuum of care and that we are all going to get to the point in life where aggressive measures are no longer going to work. Matter of fact, they can hurt, they can hinder the natural progression of life, end of life. And why not have, you know, a support system like we were talking about to help the patient and the family through that. So I, I think that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure in that line of work, you, you know, dealing with people at really difficult times in their life and um, and helping people through strong emotional responses. How did you handle that? Um, did you ever have um, anybody who was maybe aggressive or angry at you, misplaced anger? And how did you deal with that? Well, not necessarily me because I was the one that was going out getting the business. That would have been the nursing team, you know. Um, now, I did sit with families and um, I remember this one specific family that comes to mind, the father who they were looking to put on hospice was a hundred years old and they wanted to know, of course, when you, when you elect your hospice benefit, you no longer go back and forth to the hospital and have all those aggressive treatments. It's about comfort. So IVs and shots and all those kind of things are aggressive and is not comfort. So you don't do those anymore, but they were just adamant about sending their hundred year old dad who was already really transitioning, but you have to be so careful of how you, I mean, it's like you have to handle it with kid gloves. If they're not ready for it, ready for that conversation, you know, um, you have to be really careful. And they were just adamant about him getting IVs, you know, and I'm like, well, what are the goals that you want for him? This is where he is. And his, um, I would look and read his advanced directive and say, this is what his advanced directive says, that at this point in his life, he really doesn't want this any longer. You know, so are we, but, you know, at one point they're saying we really want to do what he would want. So are we doing what he really wants, you know? And finally we got them admitted and man, and my flesh wanted to say, have you lost your mind? Of course, and I always tell my daughter, and she's like, yes, mom. And I'm like, if you do that to me, I promise <laughs> you're going to be in trouble. The only thing I want is chocolate on my deathbed. And if it takes me out, it takes me out. <laughs> Peace out. You know, so anyway, man, you have to be so careful. I've sat in a room before. I remember another situation in a family's home with, man, I felt like I was on the firing squad. There were... You know, the siblings never agree on anything. Sometimes, sometimes they do. You're, and you're fortunate if they do, but sometimes they don't. And man, you have to handle that too. I'm sitting there and there are all these questions coming at me. And 
And I'm just praying, God, help me to answer these questions appropriately and do what's best for this. You know, because ultimately I'm an advocate for the patient. A lot of times the patient would want, they would feel guilty about wanting what they would want. It's like, I don't want all this aggressive treatment anymore. I'm tired, you know. Gosh, you talk about conflict management. Right. I didn't even think about this going towards that, but here we are going in that, in that direction. <laughs> and you can see the passion that I have for that too. So Yeah. It is interesting how um, all of our different jobs prepare us for wherever we are in life, both mm-hmm. professionally and personally. Yes. And, you know, in those real high stakes or life and death, people's lives are changing. And when we think about our needs and our wants, and when you have, yeah, as you said, family with different ideas as to what they want, the outcome, everybody wants the outcome of their loved one not to be dying. Absolutely. And so the goal of helping people see reality and yet not push, you know, not our agenda, their agenda and being there to, to serve the family, but ultimately the, the person who is, is dying. Right. Right. Yeah. How do you see that those experiences as informing or um, uh, affecting uh, your leadership um, training and how you um, help people develop their leadership skills? Um, As far as those experiences there, Mm -hmm. um, well, I'll kind of go from actually working with the family to working with your team. Okay. So I was business development, sales and marketing, and then you have your operations. That has to be a marriage. And in all marriages, what do we have? It's not like Hollywood wants to portray it. It's not all, you know, (laughs) Cinderella stories. You have conflict. So, and unless those two can come together, and sort out those conflicts, it affects everything. You have to have that foundation. You have to work together. You know, you got your sales and marketing team wanting to um, hit those goals and those numbers. And you have the operations teams going, but we have this amount of staff and this amount of team. And I'm going to have to check with our medical director to see if that diagnosis is appropriate and if they really you know to come on hospice you have to have a diagnosis to say if this if the trajectory of this diagnosis is six months or less then we can put them on hospice now it doesn't mean you're going to pass away in six months that just means if their diagnosis is continuing on this trajectory then that could be the potential outcome we've had people on hospice a year, two years, you know, you, you don't ever know. Um, so you have to be really careful because you have to meet those Medicare guidelines. You have to make sure that you are, you know, doing what you're supposed to do. But the sales and marketing team, like, why aren't you meeting our patient? Blah, 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 blah. I mean, you know, so, you, oh man. So it has to be that perfect marriage. And um, I was telling my daughter this morning, I'm um, part of the John Maxwell team is that coaching part, you know, So we have a new lady that does that coaching piece of that. She is just incredible. Her name is Valerie Burton. You should should look her up. I'll tag you on her. She's incredible. So she has started a vision board challenge as part of that on Facebook. And anybody can really do it. You don't have to be part of the John Maxwell team. I've tagged my daughter, who's 25, to get her to start looking at these things, you know. 
And I was talking to her this morning and I told her of an example of what I did at a Sarah care whenever I was there. And um, when I, when I started there, we had about 30 patients. So I had seen somebody do, so this was an original idea. I seen somebody do an, a, a vision board. So I took that vision board and I had everybody to give me um, quotes, you know, like leadership quotes or whatever. And if they were creative, they could do it themselves. Or if they wanted to send it to me, I would, make it all pretty on the computer, cut it out. And I had a board and um, our little mascot, I guess you could say, was the butterfly. And that makes sense with hospice. So I had a little butterfly um, backing that I put on or some fabric that I put on this board. And everybody gave me their sayings. And at the top of that board, I had a number to shoot for. Like say, if we were at 30 patients, our next increment would be 35 or 40. And it was very realistic. And that board was where you could go in and out of our office and you could see as we, and then we celebrated as we hit that number. It didn't matter, you know, if it was from 30 patients to 35 patients, we celebrated with whatever, you know, I bought in treats at our business meeting and we, you know, we celebrated. And people talked about that vision board forever because they could see it. It was visual. You could see what your goal was and what you were looking for. And it had that support around it. You know, we could do this. And when I tell you in three years, we hit 80 patients, which Mm -hmm. is, which is a big deal in hospice. So we had an eighties party. We celebrated and it kept us all on this, on the same page as you know, operations, clinical, and sales and marketing. And then we celebrated together as a team. And I think that really helped. It, not that there wasn't conflict, because there was, you know, when you're growing like that and you're having to add staff and team members and, you know, everybody getting, I remember our volunteer coordinator saying, man, I remember the good old days when we just had 30 patients. <laughs> I'm like, well, that was good, but now look where we are. You know, actually, they hit a hundred. I got promoted. That's when I got promoted to an area director. And um, anyway, then the company got bought, and the rest is history. But still, I just say that was a really good activity, yeah. and to help everybody see that vision together. You know, I love that. That is such a great example of how we get people and get that synergy and people going towards the same direction. I mean, it was, it's so simple and yet it's genius in the sense of everyone gets to contribute. It's not just you. It says, okay, I'm putting this out front. You all look at what I've done, but everybody gets to contribute. So you have some sort of ownership. As you said, it's a visible, it's a tangible reminder. And it's not just for one aspect of the team. It's for all aspects of the team. And I think what's really important with conflict resolution and maintaining a healthy work environment is that people in the organization are constantly reminded of where we're going. What is the mission? And if we have that mission in mind, then we can help arrange all of our other activities. Right. And as you said, it doesn't eliminate conflict, nor I think is that something that we should shoot for, but it can help help us say, okay, when we're having a really hard day, or when we're saying, oh, what what am I even doing? When we see, oh, this is my purpose. I mean, hospice care, what a wonderful service, um, compassionate to our community, to um, our, our families in our communities and to the individuals who are dying. And to be reminded when it's tough, because that is a tough job. And the other thing that I would 
asked them, I'd say, if you don't have like a, a quote or whatever, what is your why? Why do you do this? And we would have to come back to that because mm-hmm. it was very draining, you mm-hmm. know, for our team members to, I mean, it's, it's a very, it's just a very wonderful field, but a very trying and, you know, because you're not only working with just patients, with the families and, you know, all the disciplines coming together to help, you know, provide those services for that family. And so anyway, so we would have to come back to our why. Yeah. And I think you can do that anywhere. Yeah. What is your why? What is your passion? What is your vision? You know, I coach people as well. And there's a lady that I coach and um, she likes to kind of go off track sometimes, you know, and it's like, okay, you own your own business. Let's talk about what is your why? What is, what is your purpose? Is that getting you there? Are you mm-hmm. trying to fix everybody over here? You know, right, and, and right. I, you, I had to take, whenever I resigned and take a break from hospice, you know, your passion, you know, the passion of the Christ can crucify you if you're not careful about really making sure you know what your why and your purpose is, you know, you cannot be everybody's savior. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people who get into the space that you and I are in Lisa are fixers. We want to help. And I'm increasingly learning and trying to put into practice that helping means sometimes being quiet, getting out of the way, not taking on other people's emotional burdens uh, not trying to curate everybody's experiences, uh, yeah. not trying to save people, kicking them under the table. Don't say that. Um, no, it's their life. It's their experience. They're learning. They don't need me to do that. I don't need to be that role. And that's hard when you, you want to help. All you want to do is help. That doesn't mean you're being helpful. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. You know, and it's just like raising your kids. You want to do it all for them, and, but they have to learn. And have those experiences, you know, and um, not that people that you lead or whatever or kids, but you still have to, has to be a balance there. And, you know, one of the questions that you asked me here was work advice and you hit it head on, spot on for me is knowing what you can control and what you can't. Mm-hmm. You cannot control it all. Mm-hmm. You, you cannot do that. And if you try to, you're going to come home and be real miserable at the end of the day. Yeah. I I think for the next decade or more, we'll be talking about lessons from COVID, things we learned from COVID, (laughs) things we thought we had learned from COVID, but then as soon as it's quote unquote over, apparently, you know, it's not over, it's over some places, not others. We forget those. But I mean, a lesson from COVID is what you can really control, which is not much, but the most important things, which is internal, how I respond how I choose to see my circumstance, right? So when you get laid off, you can choose to think the world is against me or that's the end of one opportunity and now another opportunity is around the corner. It is not dictated in the stars how you're supposed to respond or what it even means, but it is within your control to decide. Um, And that means that today we're making ourselves as to how we're going to respond in the future. So how we train our minds, how we train our bodies today has real world consequences for us tomorrow or next year when the next problem or tragedy strikes, because it will, that's life. 
right? I mean, we are all going into the same place. We will all die. We all have tragedy. We all have wonderful, wonderful moments of meaning and then everything in between. Right. <laughs> My favorite scripture verse is, it, is it came up and it came to pass. You know, if it was good, past y'all weren't in. If it was bad, it's still past. That's right. Came to pass. That's right. <laughs> and this too shall pass, the good and the bad. That's right. That's yeah. right. And and learning how to handle all those things and looking back and going, okay, I didn't handle this right at 16 or 17 years old, or even as an adult. Now I didn't mm-hmm. handle everything well, you know. And, right. and we we won't until we, like you said, until we pass away, we won't always. But I think um, what you're doing, what I'm doing is so huge for people to grow professionally and personally. And I think it's always better to be proactive than reactive. Yeah, absolutely. And that that's just a sense of humility that we all need. Proper pride, I think, is important. That means seeing ourselves rightly. That means with all the ways in which we're wonderful and all the ways in which we still need to grow. Uh, with the idea that hopefully we'll be better tomorrow than we are today. And that means we make mistakes because we're human persons. Mm-hmm. And and yet st- mistakes really are opportunities. That sounds like a platitude. And it doesn't feel like it at the time. And it stings. And of course it does. But we have an opportunity to reflect and grow and be better than we were into the future. Absolutely. 100%. So Lisa, when you think about your work career, um, can you tell us about a time that was difficult for you, either with a coworker or with an organization and why was it difficult for you? Yes. Um, so when I did get my promotion, um, when um, it was just tough at that level, it was so different. Um, and I think I thought I was ready, but maybe I wasn't. Um, but still, you know, you have to learn, you have to learn through those situations and learning how to work with people who have different motivations, different, um, want different outcomes, you know, and there was some conflict there and it, it really affected me, my mental health, my physical health. And I just, I had to, you know, eventually resigning at a little under a year out and it just it broke my heart because I just loved working working with my with my team and helping them to be successful and showing them you know and and the, the part that I really really loved was the training piece and the helping you know showing them things and, and in those and in those roles, you think, well, that's all I'm going to be able to do. But no, you've got the 300 emails and all the reports and all that. And it's like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> you know? Um, I did. I did enjoy looking at the data part and all that and helping them. But the conflict came in with with different areas of leadership, you know, and I just whether or not I handled it well or I didn't, you know. I guess that remains to be seen, but I ended up resigning and just kind of taking a break from the hospice world mm-hmm. at time. So I think that's a, the better part of wisdom is I, when we're in a conflict to try to solve it as best we can. Right. But sometimes certainly when it's a dis, in a dysfunctional organization or a branch of the organization that's dysfunctional, um, maybe even toxic, our mental health, our physical health is more important than you know, sticking it out at a particular, a particular place. Mm-hmm. And it is, 
It is true, and I imagine all of our listeners have experienced the real personal toil of poor management and -hmm. management here when we don't have a plan to deal with the conflicts that arise. Conflicts Mm -hmm. happen. Conflicts can be good. It's the unmanaged conflicts, and it really seriously affects people physically and emotionally. Absolutely. It really does. It really does. Um, and it was just, it just, it broke my heart. I mean, just absolutely broke my heart that I have to, you know, resign and take that step back. But now it's like, it was the right thing to do at that time. You know, you can beat yourself up all day long, but when you, when you're disrespected, you're disrespected in front of people who you supervised. And that's just, that's not, and you can't, and those are the things you can't control. You can have that conversation. Um, and say, you know, I didn't appreciate that or whatever, but if it doesn't stop, then it, it was just too much, you know? Yeah. And, you know, when we think about uh, businesses and businesses want to stay in business, that means they need to think about the bottom line mm-hmm. and investing in coaching, investing in leadership, investing in conflict resolution saves so much money, let alone if you're not going to do it for the mental and physical health of your employees, do it for the money, right? <laughs> because, you know, how much money it takes to replace you in that role that they had to search and then they had to train. And then with the passion that you already had for the organization and the relationships that you had, all of that disappears and they have to find somebody new. And while they're finding somebody new, somebody, somebody or somebody's have to take up that slack, how much money that costs an organization where if they would have invested in training skills, management skills, putting a system into place to deal with inevitable conflict, much of that um, could have been addressed early, amicably, and then people can move forward, as you said, with your, with your vision board on mission for the organization. That's right. That's right. Very much so. And that's what, um, you know, and I'll just be honest, I know you, you're one lady show, I'm a one lady show, and it's it's sometimes hard to communicate that um, to people and for them to really invest in it, you know, and um, so it gets kind of discouraging sometimes, but um, you just have to keep chipping away at it and keep, you know, conveying this is, and because I'm an example, I mean, there was no more passionate person than than me to try and and to work from home and to be trusted and to know that you are 110% committed to the mission of the company. But when you're, you know, I've read a, read a statement recently or a quote that when you're silent, people get, I mean, when you're most passionate, people get silent. That's when you need to start, you know, being concerned. And, you know, one thing that I do, Mary, is the DISC certifications. I think that I was telling you about that. Or the, I'm sorry, I'm certified to do DISC assessment, which is a behavioral. Mm-hmm. And it looks at how people respond to problems and challenges and people and processes and things like that. And when you know where your team is and how they communicate, and you can really prevent some of that conflict or handle it in healthier ways like you were talking about. Oh man, it, and it's not even that expensive. It is just huge, you know, to have that with teams. That is a great. That's a great example, Disc, and other um, sort of metrics and tools out there. There are. There's really no excuse today to to say I don't know what to do. I don't know how to deal with conflict. I mean, I understand that, but 
as you said, a quick Google search. Uh, there are in just about every market, there are people who do this professionally who are in business to help you be better at business and yeah. to to deal with these real human issues that come up because management is about dealing with humans. That's and right. if you don't know how to deal with humans, every, all the humans are going to suffer. The business is going to suffer. And so sure. let's just go ahead and, and, and acknowledge that and get better at it. And it's not a one shot thing. It's right. continual. It's a continual until you leave that organization or that organization goes, it changes or morphs. It's okay. constant watching and taking care of people. That's right. That's right. And the desk, you know, a lot of times I know I've been in organizations where I've taken and it's been things, it's been called different, like strength finders or something like that, that, um, you know, it's not a one-time thing. Like you said, you don't just take it, look at your report and put it on a shelf because then what's your investment? It's not, you know, the ROI is not returning on your investment, anything, you know, that whole disc assessment can be, I don't, I mean, I can't even put a time frame on how long you could do coaching on that and, and working with your teams that could be, gosh, you know, most teams have monthly meetings or weekly meetings or whatever. You could implement that and grow on that forever. And, and it's, you get so many aha moments in that. When you read your report on yourself, you're like, oh, that's really cool. And there's no wrong or right, you know, good or bad. It's different. Right. And we all have to work together. Not everybody is the same. If we were, it'd be boring. Yeah. I think, yeah, knowledge is power. And many times when our colleagues are doing something, we're like scratching our head, like, why are they doing that? Why are they acting this way? Why are they responding this way? And the more we can understand um, how people respond to stress, how people respond to um, different, you know, just so many different issues, then the more we can figure out how to actually communicate, how we can understand our own responses to um, the variety of legitimate different ways of being in the world. Right. Absolutely. Can I tell you a funny example? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I actually have two. I put a humor in here, don't we? And this is just personal examples, but it can be utilized in the workforce. So I am more of that people person and, you know, just kind of not real detail oriented and all that. And my husband is real. He's the rule follower. You know, we have to do it this way. And, you know, this is what it says. You can't do that. I'm like, can you or can you not? You know, whatever. Well, one day (laughs) we were shopping at Kroger. And you know how now, you know, you used to go in and buy fruit, grapes and things like that. And they are now by the pound, but they all put it in. I I guess, for I don't know, for whatever reason, I think it's a marketing tool. They put it in the little Ziploc bags and they're, but they're still sold by the pound. Okay. And just two of us at home, I don't need that large amount. They're going to ruin. And I don't want to waste money or waste a little precious grapes, you know. So we were in there one day. And I, the bags are typically open. They're not closed. And so I just get out some and put it in another little bag of how many I want. My husband was with me and it absolutely tore him up. You cannot do that. And I said, well, they're sold by the pound. They, it doesn't say this bag costs $5. They're sold a dollar sixty ninety seven cents or whatever a pound. Yes, you can do that. When I tell you the conflict that came out, 
<laughs> the argument that came because he is a real follower, and I'm like, no. If it was in a club, if it was in a one of those boxes, and I like strawberries, you can't take strawberries, right? You know, right. Blueberries. They are they are sold in two pound containers. These grapes are not. So I was doing a disc assessment the other day with some teams, with the team, and it was so funny how a couple of them were like, "You can't do that." And the other one's like, "Yes, you can." So it's all different. It's all perspective. Yeah, you know, right? Yeah. I think that is something that's interesting about conflict is that a lot of times we're not disagreeing about the facts, but what the facts mean and if they're relevant and mm-hmm. you think this is important, but no, I think this is important. Right. And, and if you have somebody that that is that, that rule follower, the, oh, and then you're mad at people who don't follow things exactly like you want them to be done, you know? Yeah. And, the, and the other person is like, it doesn't matter. Let's just look at the whole big picture here. Right, right. (laughs) And for businesses to be successful, we need the detail oriented. We need the big picture. And, you know, yeah, diversity. Diversity is a good and the and the broader we different personality, background, ages, religions, socio, all the different ways in which we are different. When we can harness that, then our businesses grow, they profit. Mm-hmm. But that means that really allowing others to live and let live to understand that we don't have to agree and we can still get along and be on mission and go towards um, in the, in the same, go towards the same mission. It's just a funny joke now. And, you know, because when the kids came at Christmas, of course we had all, you know, my husband has two and I have one and um, we, you know, having family over and all that. So I did a, Kroger pickup order. And um, I said, I'll just have you to know, husband, that I got the whole thing of grapes. <laughs> Splurging for Christmas. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. So it was funny. But like you said, and you have to adapt. You know, I have to adapt. We all have to adapt to each other and, and to be understanding of somebody else's perspective. Yeah. And he, of course, my husband and I are, um, it's our second marriages. We are a blended family. And man, you really look at those things in a second, in the second go around as sometimes some of that is just, you know, you, you have to look at the common good, the common mission and the common goal of your, your marriage, your family, your business. What is the common goal? Are we all still reaching that common goal? Mm-hmm. You know, and we all have to adapt. And that's part of the disc too. We have to adapt sometimes. It's not always comfortable for, for each of us. But my husband has really taught me to look at more some of the details. He's so funny. Sometimes he'll like, honey, read for content. Because I just like to skim over stuff. Read for, you didn't read for content. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Lisa, do you have any advice for us as to how to uh, deal with adversity at work? To deal with adversity at work, you have to be open-minded. You have to respect people. You have to respect people and where they are and their behavioral styles and what's important to them. And um, and for leaders, you really have to respect that, you know, and and one thing that I like to say, too, is not all leaders are managers, not all managers are supervisors, directors, are leaders. Mm-hmm. So 
that really plays in to a lot of conflict and stuff too, you know? Yeah. Because I didn't think I could do leadership training because I wasn't a leader for very long or whatever. I mean, or a, didn't hold a supervisor management role. But then I did. I don't know why, you know, that it's that um, imposter syndrome, you know, sure. whatever. And so my mentor, my favorite mentor, we are still very close. We coach each other on the weekly basis, probably. She said, Lisa, do you not realize what a leader you were and helped that agency to grow to almost 100, even 100 patients and you were not a supervisor? I was like, okay. <laughs> so she really opened my eyes to some things, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, and she truly cared about me as a person. Mm-hmm. So if you are a leader out there and you're listening, you're a manager, supervisor, care about your people as a person and add value to them. Find out what makes their world go around and then kind of, and this is a John Maxwell thing, you know, then ask for the keys to open those up and to really pour into that person. Don't, you know, in the sales and marketing world, sometimes we look at, we feel like we were looked at as just numbers. Did you meet your number and you're only as good as you were last month? Hmm. Meet your goal last month? Did you exceed your goal this month? And my truly favorite mentor did not look at me that way. She truly wanted to know about me as a person. What are your goals? Not just your numbers here. What are your goals, your dreams, your desires? And really help that person reach that, whatever it is, you know, whatever it is. And she didn't look at me as just a bonus for her. You know, so that's the advice that I would have. And I think that would really help with with your team and, you know, and knowing um, and investing in your team, investing in that leadership, um, the, the, the behavioral assessments and things like that, and really make that investment in them. I love that answer you know, being open and really respecting. So when we're caught in adversity, a lot of times we think it's all about us and we, you know, how is this affecting me? All about me. But when we're open and we invest in others, whether we are supervisor leaders or just, you know, individuals in our work environment, which we can be leaders, if we choose to respect others, even if we feel disrespected, even if they're not following the rules, independent of what anybody else is doing, we can choose to invest in others and respect their humanity first. And if that's our baseline, then we're going to deal with adversity in a different kind of way. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for being on Conflict Manage. The time just flew by for me. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. And I respect what you do out there too. You as well. Uh, developing leaders is just so important for um, the people today and and the workforce of tomorrow. Sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Lisa. Take care. Uh-huh. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, Lisa, so much for joining us on Conflict Managed. Conflict Managed is produced by third-party workplace conflict restoration services. You can find us online at 3pconflictrestoration.com. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Our music is courtesy of Dove Pilot. If there is someone that you would like to see interviewed or questions you have for our guests, please let us know. And um, remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. So let's deal with it. Until next time. Conflict.
Take care.